0: Our purpose today is to understand how to welcome our brothers and sisters in Christ into our midst. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for uh, the love you've shown us and we pray as we engage with your word and think about uh, this merger and about how to welcome each other and welcome new people and welcome Glen Quarry into our church family that you might help us to uh, want to do that uh, to love your ways and to do it really really well in a way that's beneficial to both them and to us in Jesus name we pray amen I'm just going to grab the clicker well this week marks a uh, major step in the life of our church and not just our church obviously but it affects another one as well uh, Glen quarry Anglican uh, right Right now are having their final Sunday gathering as a church family today. Uh, Next Sunday sees the joining together of our two parishes into one new super mega parish, uh, which is going to stretch all the way from Pembroke Road uh, there, which joins Ingleburn and Minto right up to the crossroads. Uh, and the Homemaker Centre. So we've got five suburbs or something like that. And I just heard on the way out of church this morning that they're building a new suburb just to throw it in up the top of Ingleburn. It's called New Caledonia or something. Anyway. Uh, Seriously, they're doing something like that. Anyway, so we're getting something up the back here as well. That's a bit exciting. Uh, And so this week's a lot of change. Uh, you may have a new minister by next week if I die in the wilderness. Uh, so from from Ingleburn's point of view, um, this merger I think is is a step that's both exciting and daunting. Uh, it's exciting. We've got a whole new mission field. Oh, sorry, Alison's a bit worried over there, my wife. <laughs> uh, um, it's exciting. We've got a whole new mission field that we've got to reach. Uh, we'll have plenty of new opportunities to serve. We're going to have new facilities to use because we going to, you know, we'll have a spare church building. Um, we'll have more opportunity for Christian fellowship and partnership with a larger base of people. And so that's all really, really exciting stuff. But it's also a bit daunting. Uh, I think particularly for our parish council and wardens, um, there's a lot to be done. Uh, they've been dealing with legal matters, documentation, diocesan councils, bishops, archdeacons and rules, uh, trying to wrap their whole heads around the process. So there's a lot of things that need to be done. But beyond that, the complexity of our church life is only going to increase. Uh, There are people who we need to care for deeply in this whole process, both here and there. Uh, There are new relationships that are going to have to be built. Uh, There are some old relationships that need to be repaired, Uh, We're going to have to be more deliberate in our planning. We're going to have to be more deliberate in our communications. Uh, And I think we're going to need a whole ton or more tons of grace, of wisdom and of prayer as we work it all through. And then as we plan to do even greater things together than we have apart. Now, in one way, this is a reunification, a bit like Israel and the two sticks coming back together because they used to be a part of this parish many years ago when Ingleburn ruled the world. Uh, There were four parishes, well, sorry, it was one single parish that's now covered by four parishes and this is the first one to come home. Whether the other ones will in time, we'll wait and see. But for us, it's exciting and it's daunting. But just consider for a moment things from the Glen Quarry Church point of view. Uh, put yourselves in uh, yourself in their shoes for a moment. What must they be feeling? I reckon some of the same things. There may be a bit of excitement. There may be daunted. Uh, but there'll be other things too. I think many will be grieving. Uh, while things may change a little bit for us in the short term, everything's going to change for them. Uh, there'll be be grief losing some of their relationships because some of their present members live 40 minutes away. They've only been coming to kind of keep it open and now that everything's changing, they're they're taking the opportunity to move to a local church near them. Uh, And so there's going to be a parting of ways and it may be 50-50, I'm not quite sure what the split's going to be, but there's all these relationships that they've had, these deep, close, personal connections for years and years, 49 years, some of them, uh, that they're, they're they're going to have them in the same way anymore. They'll be grieving over uh, the building that's been their clubhouse for nearly 30 years, which many of them helped to build and they love meeting there. But they won't be doing that uh, from next week, at least for a while. There'll be grief over other things too. They're losing their minister this week. He's off to Parramatta, started next year. But you know that's that's a big change. He's been a part of their life for the last few years and and they'll miss him, and he'll miss them. But it's not just grief that they'll be feeling. They'll be feelings of failure, I think. Uh, how did it come to this? Why is it that it kind of ended up that we couldn't operate ourselves? You know, How could God let this happen? Uh, there may be feelings of uh, deep anxiety. Uh, many of their members are older, and uh, any change is a big deal for them, uh, and this is a big change. And they'll be wondering, yeah, you know, are we going to find a happy home and a happy family at St Barnabas? Uh, are we going to be able to cope? Uh, some of them uh, only ever walk to church, and they're on walkers, and they're going to have to work out a whole transport arrangements, and how are we going to deal with that? And it's scaring them. Uh, they're coming in as the minority into a sea of people who know each other and love each other. Uh, there'll be anxiety about the future. What's going to happen with the facilities? Uh, Eagleburn going to do something sneaky and just sell it all off, and you know they promised a plan. How's that going to happen? All kinds of emotions that they'll be feeling, and so I reckon the onus is on us to be work really hard at understanding and welcome them into our midst as we take this step together as one new church family. Now we heard in our reading from three John that God thinks how Christians welcome each other um, is a really really big deal. In fact. It turns out it's a spiritual matter. It's a spiritual matter. It says something about our own relationship with God, how we welcome other Christians, other believers into our family. And so God is very concerned that his people welcome each other and he loves it when they do it well. And the big question we're asking this morning is how do we go about doing that? How do we go about Welcoming each other. I mean, we've got people at the different services who don't know each other. How do we go about welcoming people here? You may not know everyone here. Uh, there was a few admissions of that at eight o'clock church this morning. Uh, yeah. uh, how do we go about welcoming this whole new church in our midst? How do we how do we welcome others as they come and hi to those who are visiting today? Um, now we could just follow the secular wisdom that's out there. Uh, nearly eighty years ago, uh, this book was written by Dale Carnegie. It's still in print today, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, anyone read that book? Uh, a few people have read that book. Anyone else, more people heard of that book? There you go. It's yeah, one of the world's bestsellers for 80 years now. Uh, and in many ways it's got great advice on how to create uh, and form new relationships, how to make other people happy and how to be engaging. Now, I'll say this for David Blouse's benefit because I freaked him out after I said this next bit because I put up his top tips and he was scrolling them all down going, wow, this is what we need to do. And then I said, but there's a problem. So see if you can spot the problem as we go through. All right? Here's his top six pieces of advice. All right, number one, become genuinely interested in other people. Sounds all right? Number two, smile. Yeah, can't hurt the smile, can it? Uh, number three, remember that a person's name is, to that person, the sweetest and most important sound in any language. There you go. That's what Dave's really freaking out about. Uh, <laughs> I think that's his name. Anyway, so. <laughs> uh, uh, number four, be a good listener. Encourage others to talk about themselves. Okay, so tell me about yourself. What do you do? All those kind of things. Uh, number five, talk in terms of the other person's interest about what they can get out of this relationship and connection. Uh, uh, number six, make the other person feel important and do it sincerely. And I'm glad you put that little caveat at the end. <laughs> um, sound good? You reckon that's good advice? I reckon there is uh, lots of good advice and you can imagine why following that advice would help you uh, get on in the world. So what's the problem that I think with it? Yeah, it's really not about them at all. It's all about you. You can get it from the title, uh-huh, How to Make Friends and Influence People. It's all about how you can get your way. In other words, how you can manipulate people. That's what this is about. Uh, and it's written to business people and politicians about climbing the ladder and being a success and getting to the top by using people along the way, by making them feel important. So it's not about building genuine, loving relationships. Although he's got it in there, become genuinely interested in other people. So he's saying if you want to make it to the top, you've actually got to care about people. So there's it's mixed, there's good advice. Um, but it's about how you can get ahead and so it's really the forerunner to the whole self-help industry which is booming in a world which is taking God out of the picture and as a result has completely lost all sense of real meaning and purpose which doesn't understand relationships at all. It's all just full of selfish ambition because this world is all there is and so make the most of it and it just turns out you can make the most of it by making other people feel good. Okay? And making them feel like you're your friends and then you can get ahead. And maybe you shouldn't judge books by their fans or people by their fans, although I think Mistral says you should judge things by the fans. Ah. (laughs) But this book has been used for great and evil over the years. Who are two, two of the biggest fans of this book? Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett has no certificates of all his degrees and things on his wall except the Dale Carnegie School of How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's the thing he is proudest of having achieved. One of the world's richest men. The other one, Charles Manson, the serial killer. This is the book. You can do great evil with the advice in this book. So it's certainly not Christian advice that's going to lead you necessarily into more godliness and genuine loving relationships. It's really about manipulation. Take what he says about smiling. You don't feel like smiling? Then what? Two things. First, force yourself to smile. If you're alone, force yourself to whistle or hum a tune or sing. Act as if you are already happy and that will tend to make you happy. Sound familiar? It's basically the primary tip in every self-help book on the planet. Start doing the thing you want to be and then you'll become it. So there's good things to learn from it, especially if you're a bit socially awkward. Uh, but if we really want to know how to love others and build genuine relationships, which are going to last not just in this world but into eternity, we've got to see what God has to say about it all. So what does God have to say about welcoming? And it turns out he's got a lot to say about welcoming. The first thing, I think, is to understand why God thinks it matters so much. Why is it that Christians should welcome each other? And I think once you've understood the why, the how becomes really obvious, how you go about doing it. Okay? So why? I've got four reasons why God wants us to welcome each other as Christian brothers and sisters. One, we welcome each other because God first welcomed us in Christ. We welcome because we've been welcomed by God. That's the starting point. God's not asking us to do something that he himself is not prepared to do. And, and he, he's given us an incredibly warm welcome in Jesus Christ, hasn't he? I mean, you think about his welcome of us. It wasn't just a vague nod. Hey, there you go. Good, excellent. Uh, you know, that, that sort of green that people give each other, which basically says, I'm alive, you're alive. I want to go to a important conversation with someone I really care about. <laughs> uh, God didn't do that. It's nothing like that. Uh, and it wasn't a cheap welcome. In a, you know, in, come over for a brief chat with some watered down cordial and a Vita Wheat because he was saving the Monte Carlos and the plunger coffee for the important guests later on. And it certainly wasn't a reactive welcome because we asked for an invite. Please, please, God, can we come to your house? Um, it was not like that. He, he came to get us. It was proactive. He came in order to welcome us in, and it was a costly and overwhelming, generous welcome that he gave us. He gave his son to die for us so that we could be his, so that we could be with him. And it wasn't because we were so amazing that he welcomed us in. Oh, I'm really going to be lucky if they come to my place. <laughs> um, it, we weren't his friends. What do we learn in Romans 5 a few weeks ago when we were going through Romans uh, a few months ago? Uh, it was while we were his enemies that Christ died for us. It was enemies that he sent Jesus to die for. In Ephesians 2 it talks about how, how we're aliens and strangers cut off and, and separated and, and he in, in his love has brought us back to himself. It's undeserved gracious love which he has poured out. And he did it not just so that we could be welcomed into his home as guests, but as family, adopted as his children. There's one thing to come to someone's house as a visitor, isn't it? Uh, Much different to come into their home as if it was your own home because you're being treated like family. That's a very different relationship, isn't it? Uh, I remember uh, when I came here, the first time, which was not as the minister, because you might not know, some of you might not know, I was a student minister here back in 2000 and 2001, then I went away for a bunch of years and then I came back as the rector. The minister here at the time in 2000 was a man called Gary Nicholson and his wife was Gay Nicholson. Um, it's, I've got to say that because to say his wife was gay is a bit confusing in today's uh, terms, but uh, Gary and Gay. They were complete strangers to me. In fact, the interview I had with him to get the job as student minister here was for about two minutes on the phone from my kitchen in the eastern suburbs where I happened to be living at the time. He really wanted a student minister, had money. The guy who he'd asked, who'd agreed, who then said no. Uh, and then I rang up and said, well, no, he, he, the guy said no, but I know a guy called Joe. Here's his number. He might come. He rang me. He said, do you want the job? I went, all right. <laughs> uh, there, there's good technique for anyway. <laughs> and, and this is what you end up with anyway <laughs> so they're complete strangers to me my first Sunday here at church they said well, why don't you come over for lunch and i went, okay alright turned up at their house for lunch and they said look you're going to be here for a couple of years we presume <laughs> uh, just treat our home as if it's your home and, in fact, that's your bedroom over there. Uh, and it was uh, Sam's old room. There you go, for those who remember Sam. Uh, and so they said, anytime you need to come down, if you're staying over for ministry things, just, just stay here. And they gave me a key to the house. And it really was overwhelming. It was like family. And this was my home, so much so that uh, I, I took them a little too seriously and moved in permanently. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they really did treat me for those couple of years like a son. yeah they had to put up with my tantrums and slamming doors and things (laughs) but that's the kind of welcome that God has given us in Jesus Christ and I take it that that was in part what motivated them Uh, that leads to a second reason why we should welcome we welcome because of what church is or at least what it should be the church is a new family Uh, God has adopted us as his children through his extraordinary generosity and he's building his church family individual by individual into a glorious kingdom. Uh, You come towards the end of the Bible in Revelation 7 and you get this picture of the people who God has gathered in heaven in glory at the end of time. And and they're people from all over the place, from every age, from all different backgrounds and cultures and races. Uh, This is what it says, Revelation 7 verse 9. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's Jesus. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so here's the the heavenly reality of church. It's a, a people who are gathered to God by Jesus who but they're also gathered to each other and they're singing his praises they're they're enjoying the benefits of being together in his presence and our churches on earth now are meant to be a small reflection of that and, and they they really are, are glorious when they're working really well and they're meant to reflect that sort of diversity and inclusion and togetherness and so that it doesn't matter who you are or what job you do or which suburb you live in or what your past life has been like or what's happened or, or what you've suffered. When you come to know and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you are joined into this great throng of believers who who all share the same fundamental realities uh, of sins forgiven, of a new start with God as your Heavenly Father Uh, of a future that's guaranteed with him in glory. Uh, And those things unite us. Uh, As we're joined to him, we're joined to each other. And so Jesus uses the imagery of of branches being grafted into a vine. And Peter uses the imagery in 1 Peter of, of a temple being built together with all sorts of individual stones that are kind of just placed by God together to build one new temple Uh, Paul talks about the body which is made up of different parts but all parts must show love and concern for each other because we're all united into that one body and we can't say I don't need you and you can't say you don't need me. And so because of that, church should be a place of belonging and community and being connected where we're accepted and loved and wanted and needed. Uh, It's an expression of that heavenly church that God is building in fact, I think that's why the grief is going to be so great for Glen Quarry, right? Because that's, that's what it's been like. There's close family who've, who've been together for so long and they've gone through the hard times together and it's kind of coming to an end in part. And, and it's going to be difficult and painful, but it, it should be difficult because that's the reality of what a church should be. And it's what we should be seeking to build, not only with ourselves but with other believers who who come to visit us or come to join us. There's to be a generosity of spirit which means we'll open up our doors and we'll open up our hearts to other fellow disciples of Christ. A third reason God gives us to welcome other believers. Uh, We welcome because love marks out Jesus' disciples. It marks out who he is. You remember Jesus, the night before he died, he's with you know, his closest followers and friends, eating with them one last meal. And you remember what he said to them? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you if you have love for one another, if you love each other. Our world is completely confused about love. It has not got the foggiest clue. I mean, we we listen to love songs on the radio, but they're not about love because love is not what they're singing about. Uh, it regards love as a feeling and particularly the feeling that you give to me. Um, but that's got almost nothing to do with true love. True love is is about putting the other person's interests ahead of your own. It's about saying, I'll oh, live and work for your best and not for my own interest just like Jesus loved us i mean you think of that passage which is used so often at weddings which is not written for weddings but it's about god's love that we're to share with one another love is patient love is kind it doesn't envy it doesn't boast it's not rude it's not self-seeking it doesn't delight in evil rejoices in the truth always perseveres always hopes love never fails it's about giving It's about putting the other person first, just like Jesus loved us. And the more that we grow as disciples, the more this love for other believers should be manifest in our lives. And one way, just one way that will work itself out, is how we welcome other believers into our midst. Because the spiritual reality is that that there is only one church of believers in this world, okay? the church militant, as the old theologians would call it, which is always a mixture of of true believers and not, and we we really can't delineate sometimes. And so what we've got to do is love each other uh, and and work together and soldier on. That's the third reason. The fourth reason to welcome other believers uh, into our midst is because true fellowship is a warm-hearted partnership in the gospel cause. Most of us would agree that we want good fellowship, right? Anyone here not want good fellowship? Uh, hands up, come on! Anyone want good fellowship? Uh, right. And some are undecided. Uh, but often what we mean by that is that we want, we want to be happy in our relationships. But true fellowship is so much more than that. It's not the same as being friends. Uh, Christian fellowship is actually a partnership that we have with each other in the gospel cause. Now, I'll prove that to you next week because we're going to be starting on Philippians um, where, where this is a big issue of a partnership in the gospel. But fellowship is where believers throw in their lot together to grow God's kingdom together and, and the result of that is joy and warmth and enthusiasm as that's happening. Uh, we saw that in Romans 16 a few weeks ago. You know, the partners in the gospel, as Paul shares with joy, the, the, the greetings at the end and how and how so-and-so is going really well and this guy's got a church in his house and that's fantastic and praise God and, and they all love each other and even though they're apart from each other and but they're all united in their purpose. That's the fellowship, partnership in the cause. And so as we welcome other Christians into our midst we're really building this fellowship where as people join we're asking them to come and to be partners with us and with God in his mission, to, the mission to call the lost to come home, the mission to call God's enemies to come and be his friends and children, to call sinners to come to repent and believe. So that's four reasons why welcoming other believers matters so much to God. But I just want to take a few minutes to have a look at this very short letter of 3 John which sort of just sneaks into the end of the Bible uh, which you might not have ever taken notice of. I mean, anyone's favourite book, 3 John? Um, it, might, well, it might be after today, I don't know. Uh, Gary, you can come and finish the sermon. <laughs> Since you love it so much. Um, you might have even wondered, hey, why even? it's less than a page long, why did they bother even putting it in the Bible? Surely we could live without it. But what it does is give us some extraordinary examples of what true Christian welcome and hospitality looks like, and what it doesn't look like. It's really about that theme, uh, and so it's turning in—it's in, giving practical example of a whole lot of what the other letters are talking about in theory. It's a letter written from the Apostle John who also wrote the Gospel of John uh, and the Book of Revelation but he also penned three very short letters which are all about relationships in the church. 1 John uh, is about how to regard those who've broken faith with the church and have walked out on Jesus Christ and they no longer want to associate. How do you deal with that? 2 John is a very strong warning not to welcome some people into your uh, gathering, not to welcome false teachers in who are going to tell lies about Jesus Christ and lead you to hell they they are not welcome uh, it's a very strong warning uh it's very dark, but it's very important and then there's three John, which John wrote to this guy called Gaius or Gaius uh, he uh, they were they were good friends once upon a time they they're no longer in the same area, in, uh, the overseas from each other. Uh, Gaius gets mentioned a bunch of times in New Testament, including in Romans 16, where the Apostle Paul noted Gaius for his incredible hospitality there too. Um, he was a convert of Paul's, uh, baptised by Paul, 1 Corinthians 1. Uh, turns up in Acts 19 and 20. But John and his friends have noticed Gaius' overwhelming love and hospitality as well. And That's what this letter is about, and I just want to point out three very brief things from this letter about christian relationships it 's not really a you know exposition of three John, but here's three things to learn about Christian relationships as we think about this area of welcoming and hospitality. The first is that uh it 's good to rejoice in others who love Jesus and are faithful uh and, and there 's a great joy that should come into our hearts when we hear about other Christians who love Jesus, who are serving Jesus and and going well in their faith, even if things are not going necessarily well in their life. That should bring great joy. And you can see John's overwhelming joy to hear of his friend from some time past who is still going strong as a Christian and acting faithfully and loving Jesus and loving others. And so verse 1, the elder, that's, that's John, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and it all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting on well. You can, there is soul health. Uh, it gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell me about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Does it, does it give you a thrill when you hear about Christians in the Middle East who are standing firm in their faith despite the persecutions and Christians who are standing strong in, the, the, uh, in, in America despite their denominations giving up on, on the gospel and, and things like that? You, you can sense the depth of John's love for this man which is just like Jesus said should mark out believers, right? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. And John loves this Gaius guy. And he's overjoyed to hear he's going well in the faith. Second thing I want to point out um, is what true hospitality looks like because Gaius is a wonderful example of hospitality. And we see that Gaius' hospitality and welcome is to people who turn out to be Christian missionaries who are working in and near guys's hometown. And I just want to point out a few things about his hospitality. The first thing is, He didn't even know these guys before he welcomed them into his life and into his home. They were strangers to him. Verse 5, Dear friends, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers even though they are strangers to you. That's remarkable, isn't it? He didn't didn't wait till they became BFFs, you know, best friends for life, um, before he started to care for them. He didn't wait till they'd proven themselves worthy of his love. Um in the church uh, for a year or so before he'd helped them, he just jumped right in helping these strangers. I mean obviously been a letter of introduction or something, it wasn't just some random door knocker, but you know, he he cared for people who he didn't know, like Gary and Gay did. Second, it's it's not explicitly spelled out what form it took, but I think Gaius' hospitality was extraordinarily generous and it cost him. Significant money, uh, the kind of words for welcome and hospitality and help them on their way are all tied up with financial things. Um, and it wasn't a one-off donation that he made to them to salve his conscience and get rid of them because he was too embarrassed. It's like, oh, have some cash, you know, like you do when people knock on the door sometimes. It was ongoing and it put him out. You, you see that in verse 5. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for these brothers You know, they've come some time ago, These people have reported it to me and you're still looking after them even though they are strangers to you. They've told the church about your love. You'll do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. And he's he's saying financially support them. It was for the sake of the name, the name of Jesus, that they went out receiving no help from the pagans. They, They were unsupported and you've sponsored them and I want you to continue sponsoring them. He says, we ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. And and so he gets the mission, he gets the partnership that we're we're meant to have with other believers in in serving God and so he's saying, you know what, I don't know these guys but they are brothers and sisters in Christ, they are on the same mission that we're all meant to be on, I'm in with them, they can come and stay at my place. And And I gather he was putting them up in his home, billeting them like we do with uh, when we have a Moore College mission, which, let me tell you, we're having one next year. Uh, we're getting a bunch of rat-bag Moore College students to come down and help us evangelise the area. Uh, and we'll be asking people to billet them and, and feed them and care for them for a week. Um, and But we do that from time to time and with the NTE mission and so on. Um, and... and John was asking guys to continue that hospitality and welcome and to to make a financial contribution on the next phase of their mission trip. Third thing uh, to notice is that hospitality is not the same as entertainment. Hospitality is not the same as entertainment. It's not entertaining others. Entertaining, and I I think this is a, a big confusion Uh, uh, entertaining is something you do for friends and for people you want to impress. Uh, Entertaining is when you set out to show how good a host you are and, and grow in some sort of social standing. Gaius was doing nothing like that. He was being hospitable. He was loving. He wasn't trying to impress them. He was genuinely caring for them and supporting them in what they were doing. Hospitality is about putting yourself out to love someone and look after them not by, not about making sure they rate your cooking or are impressed by your table runner uh, or the cleanliness of your house and your fine china. You get the difference? You get the difference? Gaius was showing true Christian hospitality. So you think about, you meet someone new at church and you say, well, we be good to have them over for lunch. Should we do that sometime? Well, let's make it for six weeks' time. Um, so that we can get everything ready and prepared and things. No, just say, hey, you want to come over? Uh, We'll get the chicken and we won't worry the house is a mess because the kids are doing what they do and Dad's doing what he does Uh, (laughs) uh, and stuff because, you know what, their house is just like our house and we're not trying to impress. We just want to form these new relationships. So why don't you come over uh, today? That's hospitality versus entertainment. Contrast Gaius, who's showing this wonderful hospitality, with the other guy that's mentioned, Diotrephes. You see his example in verse 9. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. He won't welcome the apostles. (laughs) Um, So if I come, I'll call attention to what he's doing, gossiping maliciously about us. What a rat bag. And I don't know if you've had the misfortune to encounter such a person or to be at church with such a person. Arrogant, exclusive, likes spreading rumours, likes driving wedges between people. Um, Tells you, well, you want to be friends with me, you've got to take sides. Whose side are you going to take, huh? You come with the good guys or... Um, he's denouncing even the apostles because he's so pure and high and mighty he thinks he knows more than them. And as a result he's the exact opposite of Gaius in terms of welcome and hospitality. See not only won't he welcome the apostles but look at the second half of verse 10 not satisfied with that he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. I mean, not good enough for him not just to welcome people. No one else is to welcome the strangers. And if you do, you go. Uh, and I don't know what position he had in the church or what personal power he held over people, but, but his threats worked uh, and people had stopped, all except Gaius, welcoming these visitors, Christian visitors, into their homes. So Gaius or Diotrephes? Which one are we going to be? Who wants to be a Diotrephes? <laughs> oh, well, that's good, right? <laughs> Who wants to be a Gaius? Yay! All right. <laughs> it's actually easier to be a Diotrephes, um, only caring for each other because we're comfortable with each other, uh, never welcoming anyone into our midst. It's just easier to circle the wagons, especially in a hostile world. We bunker down, we draw the lines tight, we get in our holy huddle. But it's completely ungodly. It's totally destructive. And I think it shows that we're not really part of God's church ourselves when we do that. So don't be like him. Be like Gaius. In verse 11, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. And I think it's lovely in verse 14, I hope to see you soon and we'll talk face to face. That's true relationship, isn't it? Writing's one thing, but gee, I'd rather be there with you and I'm hoping to come soon so that we can continue our relationship. Let's work out how to be an incredibly welcoming church and not just put on a good feast next week. It's going to be a good celebration. But as we care and love for our brothers and sisters in Christ from Glen Quarry Church and as we and others who come into our midst, and as we seek to build our partnership in God's mission to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. And it wouldn't hurt to smile either. (laughs) Let me pray. Father, we want to commit ourselves into your hands. This week marks a big change. Uh, more change for Glen Quarry than for us, but it's a change for us. We pray that we'll take the responsibility seriously of wanting to evangelise a bigger district, of caring for our brothers and sisters in Christ in their grief and their anxiety. Help us to welcome them well, to love them, to share their burdens, but also to walk hand in hand in partnership in this gospel mission that you've called us to as we seek to win the lost. And bring them to know Jesus Christ. Please give us great wisdom, lots of grace. Help us to be prayerfully dependent on you in everything. That we might uh, serve you wholeheartedly and live out what you have said. In Jesus' name we pray and for his glory. Amen.